Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, I'm not quite sure, maybe 411? Who knows? Yes. Um, but today is a special episode. Well, actually, they're all special, aren't they, sweetie? Yes, but this is especially special. This is an extra special one. Uh, we have our good friend named Mike Domish. Mike Domish, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me back, Todd and Kathy. This is your second time. Uh, first time was whatever. Uh, Last year. A yes. year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to give Mike an opportunity to explain what he does and why we invited him to be on the podcast. But after he was here, we had an hour-long conversation with him, and we immediately said, this guy's got to come to the conference. Yes. So he was on our radar immediately. I'm like, this man needs to spread his message to our audience. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, Mike, who are you? What do you do? What's your deal? <laughs> Well, what I do is I'm the founder of the Date Safe Project, and we travel the world spreading the the message and the mission of creating a culture of consent and respect. So whether that's in middle schools, high schools, universities, military installations from just enlisted to our generals and our admirals, or whether that's in today's corporations and organizations who are struggling with understanding a culture of respect right now and how to build that, we work with them by giving them programming, live trainings, keynotes. Uh, to really help them solve that problem long term. Mm. So we did a podcast. This podcast number three hundred and forty-seven. I used to listen to. I used to re-listen to our podcast after we did them. And I don't know. The more we do these, the more I don't want to listen to my voice yet again. Yeah. But with Mike's interview, I think I've heard it three times because I get something out of it every time. Well, and that's the feedback we got afterwards too, as we were getting emails and comments on the Facebook page that they listened to it, re-listened to it, and then had their spouse listen to it, and then wanted their kids to listen to it. Right. So that's again, you, you realize the message goes further than just that day. Well, and because we thought we were going to talk to some guy about how to talk to your kids about sex, right. and then we quickly dove into what is our own understanding of intimacy and sexuality. Mm. And you're going to be talking about that at our conference on March 2nd and 3rd of 2018. And we cannot wait to have Mike spread the message uh, to our audience. Well, I'm excited to be there. And you know what was interesting about that is several months later, I was at Fort Bragg Mm. giving training and somebody who had listened to that episode was the reason I was there. Oh, no kidding. They went back, took that episode and shared it with their entire team saying, everybody got, you got to listen to this podcast. So it tells you the two of you put together, you do such an awesome job. uh, And they're a listener of yours, Mm. a follower of yours, but they ended up taking it back to their workplace and saying, Hey, everyone, check this out. So you never know, never know who's listening and where who they're sharing and spreading it with. Well, well that is cool. And, you know, uh, emails, um, you know, we get a lot of emails. And I tend to get a lot of emails from military wives. Oh, yeah. Oh. So I and a lot of that is because they're finding community and, you know, creating that conversation and connection. And a lot of them are alone with the kids for long, extended periods of time, as we all know. So that's interesting. You always wonder, like, what started first and mm. you know well and um we'll give mike an opportunity to talk about he has his own podcast and we'll give him an opportunity to talk about that on the tail end of the show mm-hmm. but mike has a lot of different ways you can kind of reach out to him or he hear can his reach message out to you. right mm-hmm. so you had a leading question yes what, okay what are we doing here? so I was so excited Mike was coming now because as you guys know, and and as Todd and I have been talking on the show continuously about um, Me Too, and Me Too um, was just uh, named Person of the Year, a collective of women who and men who had spoken up um, about their own sexual assault or harassment. And so this is obviously in the air, in the ethers, right? And so already... Even though I sh- it's it's actually had some legs. I mean, oh, it's yeah. been for months and months. But 
you are, I am at least seeing and feeling a bit of a backlash when I talk to people um, because they'll say, and this is my question. I won't even frame it any more than this. The question I've gotten three times this week is, or the comment I've gotten, I don't even know if it's in the form of a question, is um, women saying to me, well, my husband or my significant other or my brother now they're not super interested in working with women or they don't really want to be around women because they are afraid that anything they do will cause a problem and they don't want to think so hard about what's right and what's wrong. Now they feel like the victims. So now I'm paraphrasing, like I said, three different people's comments to me, but I would love to hear what you would say to that because these are very like these are wonderful these are friends of mine these are um very intelligent people and people who are for the cause do you right, know they're right. not they're, they're not against the women or the men who are speaking out right so, well, so your initial gut reaction is wow how privileged your life must have been to this day that you never thought of that before that now suddenly, because women are coming forward and, and the men, male survivors that have come forward and shared what happened to them, you think, wow, I could do something to cause that? I'd rather not think about that. Mm. I mean, that's an incredible point of privilege to be speaking from. Instead of saying, I don't want to do harm. I'm afraid that the way I've acted in the past could have done harm. Where do I begin to learn to transform so that I can have amazing working relationships, colleague relationships, friendships with all genders without doing harm that I never intended to do in the first place? Yes. Wouldn't that have been like the question you want to hear, right? But instead it's, wait, you're going to cause me to have to change. So I'm going to become defensive. And my defense mechanism is women are the problem. So I just will avoid women. Yes. Instead of saying, no, there's no problem with women. When you treat people with respect, when you treat people with compassion and empathy, you'll have no problems out there. So that's not women. The question is, and you're, you're saying, well, how do I connect with them? Because that's not going to connect with them, right? Well, how privileged you are. To, right. And so instead, it's with empathy and it's with the same compassion we want to be treated with. We have to talk to that person who we feel is not giving that. We have to give them it so they can experience what that is. So I would start with something like, well, that's interesting. What are you afraid that you're going to say that will do harm? Yes. Or what? what it, yeah. What's the comment that you're afraid that you would normally say? That could now get you in trouble. And you know what I've the feedback I've gotten because this is a you know, this conversation, it's been similar, is they're afraid that they'll hug them or touch them in a way. Awesome. Okay. So you're afraid that if you hug them, that that is inappropriate. What is a way we could eliminate that from being a problem? The name of your book. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Which for those listening, the book's can I kiss you, but that could I can I give you a hug? Yeah. And is this appropriate time and place for me to even ask the question? Mm. So in the workplace, under what circumstances is it really appropriate to be hugging someone? That's so interesting. So here's my story. Uh, I I work in a male dominated industry. Um, but I feel very connected to the females. I, I, my wife is a feminist. I consider myself a feminist. I feel almost bad that these women have to work in this industry dominated by so many men. You recognize their experience. That's for sure. And I, I've known these women for years and years and years. So when I see them, I, uh, if I've known them for a long time, I give them hugs. And, um, and just recently I said to the one woman, I'm like, by the way, I, is it okay that I hug? She's like, oh, Todd, I hug everybody. You know, it's totally fine or whatever. But what's interesting is if there's 20 people in the room and 17 of them are men, now there's a few 
close friends that I will hug in a professional setting, and I don't care if it's awkward. I just do it anyways because I know them. But uh, the three women that are in the room, I hug all three of them. So I, I say that story because I'm questioning myself. I'm questioning, um, you know, is there any built-in like, oh, well, I should have a right to hug you women. And I've never asked, can I hug you? I just, I'm a warm person, but I'm more likely to be warm towards a woman than to a man. Is that sexist? Like what's going on in It's my- a great question. Is there an unbiased sexism you've been taught in yeah. our culture that led to that? I think that's the question. Because I think when we say to ourselves, am I sexist? Defense mechanisms, you Correct. know, walls want to build up and we, and there's guilt and shame versus just guilt versus going, have I been taught a sexist understanding of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at that going, maybe I have. And that was going to be my question to you. Did, how, what percentage of the men did you naturally hug without asking? And you gave us the answer already, yeah. right? It was a minuscule number, yeah. but the women you did. So right away, there's a bias yes. that's clearly obvious. So if it's, all right, if I ask 100% of the women, may I give you a hug? I haven't seen you around, may I give you a hug? Am I asking 100% of the men, may I give you a hug? And if they say no, no, or whatever, like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. that's fine. Uh, and how, what role do I have in this relationship that even if I say may I give you a hug, there could be an, in, a, an insinuation that they better say yes, yes. to that. Right. Yes, right. Power. And so because of power and, and roles mm-hmm. and submissive roles versus aggressive, assertive roles, all that can play in. I used to tell my swimmers, I coached high school swimming and I coached both men's and women's swimming. And I would tell them, I'd sit down and say, just so you know, I don't give hugs during the season, during the swim season. And I want to explain why. Here's why. If Julie's really excited when she jumps out of the pool and comes over to give me a big hug and I give her a hug, what I don't realize is that Janet's watching this, seeing me hug a swimmer, and thinks, oh, man, coach better not do that to me. Mm. And I've created an uncomfortable atmosphere for Janet based on what she saw me do to Julie. Yeah. And I want this to be a safe space for everyone. And to imply that a hug is the only way we show that we care and we support each other is also very misguided for sure. and dangerous that we must touch to prove that. So I'll have, and, and you, there's other forms of touch. I'll high five. We'll do all these yeah. other things. Uh, but that's not going to happen for me because I care so much about you that I don't want to create an uncomfortable setting. Yeah. And they were smart. They're like, oh, that actually, wow, we've never heard that before, but that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you could see some of them relieved, like, well, that's actually nice it's to know. It's off the table. It's yeah. off the table, yeah. right? Nice. So good to know. Now, the key is, do I do that for all genders? Yeah. Right? Do I do that for all expressions, for all people? That's key to this conversation. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting about this, because then you can start to see the universal principles that apply. A lot of times when things are changing in our culture, there is a group of people, um, and sometimes people kind of ebb and flow in and out of this, who they just are like, do we have to talk about this? Mm-hmm. You know, in my day and age, in my family, in my home, in my town, this wasn't an issue. We just hugged people. When did it get so difficult? And you can apply hug to anything else. When did I have to think about other people's sexuality? When did I have to think about, you know, other people's gender? Why don't we just go back to what I deem as normal? Mm-hmm. So you live and teach this. So this is very normal for you to, but there's a lot of people who just don't like change. Right. So what do you say to those people? Well, if they're a parent and if they're listening, I'm going to make the assumption a large percentage of listeners here are parents. What world do you want for your kids? Do you want a world where they feel that they can actually feel safe and not because it's too politically 
incorrect. incorrect or politically correct, whatever phrasing you want to use, but because that, that their body is theirs, mm-hmm. that they live in a world where their body is respected, boundaries are respected, is that the world? And most parents are like, of course I want my child's body to be respected and their boundaries to be respected. All right, how are you living that? Mm-hmm. How are you creating that world? How are you creating that world at work? How are you creating that world at home? Mm-hmm. How do they see you interact with partners? If maybe you're not married, so how do they see you interact with the ones you date? Do they see asking? Do they see an okay of no? What about with themselves, right? And we talked about this the last time. Do you say to your child, me, I give you a hug? And if they say no, say okay. Mm-hmm. Not but I miss you or I love you and trying to guilt them into a new answer. Are you okay? Are you living this idea that I respect your boundaries and I respect all human beings boundaries? And this is so connected to our own vulnerability because why we don't like change is not because we inherently don't like change, but it causes us to reflect on ourselves and to possibly be disappointed by an answer or by a feedback that we don't want. It's like, you know, I, the visual I get when you talk about that, it's like opening our hearts, our chest and like showing our true selves. And then if we get, no, I don't want to hug it, it might hurt. And, and people would rather just say, this is how it's done. I'm your parent. You hug me. That's your grandpa. Go sit on his lap. Yeah. And the problem with that is you just taught them that if you love someone, you owe them physical intimacy. Oh, yeah. Well, and you, you, just, you just asked me yesterday because I'm preparing for this men's group meeting on Tuesday night. I think there's a lot of guys out there, possibly some that will be in my living room next Tuesday that think that their wife owes them intimacy or in, owes them sex. For sure. So- for the and it, partners who believe they owe the act to that person, like both believe this. In other words, if I marry you, I have to perform a certain level of sexual activity with you. Right. And if you marry me, you have to perform a sexual level of activity with me. It goes both ways. It's yeah. been taught. Yeah. And and I mean, I don't even know how to like pull that apart. Like because I I totally understand it. I have felt it. And I have seen it in my own work with women. I know it lives out there. But when you say it that way, it's like such a – it's like pulling the veil off. It's like, wait a second. When in our vows or when in the decision to marry someone did we say, and I also commit to four times a week mm-hmm. or I also commit to once a month or I, it's, it's not about the number. And that's another thing too is people get caught up in the cerebral aspects of it of being able to say to somebody, oh, Four what? times a week. Yeah. Two, and it may me there may be no intimacy in that. Well, and I don't know if it was from Mike or Esther Perel. I don't know. Do you know who Esther Perel is? I don't know. Okay. She's an author and she, she talks, talks about affairs and infidelity. Affairs, sexuality and all that. And um, she said it's not even the – you could be having sex once a quarter, once every three months and have a better sex life yes. than somebody who's having sex twice a week. Absolutely. Because you're having sex that is mutually wanted. Yeah. That, and so you're more level to have an amazing experience. When I'm speaking and doing leadership programs, whether it's for military organizations, and we talk about sexual violence, I say, what's the worst end of the spectrum of sexual violence outside of mur- murder or death? Mm-hmm. People say rape. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody agrees on that. Yes. All right, what's the extreme opposite of rape involving sexual activity? People will sit there for a half hour. They can't figure it out. They'll be like, well, consent. Nope. Consent's only halfway You're up. halfway there. Halfway there. Because that's the bare minimum requirement. It's not the extreme mm. opposite. It's the bare minimum requirement. It means there's no sexual assault involved. Mm. That's what it means. Yeah. Involving sexual activity. And it can take them forever. And the answer is mutually amazing consensual sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> mutually amazing consensual sexual intimacy. And when you say that to people are like, well, we're never taught that. That's the problem. That's the problem. We're never taught that. So we think quantity matters. Yeah. We think, uh, am I getting some or are they getting some? Or am I the king of the bedroom or the queen of the bedroom? But it's not about is this mutually wanted right now. Right. It's can I get some? Right. And it becomes, I was telling Tad, we were talking about a TV show we used to watch um, where it becomes, again, talking about power, a power struggle. I will withhold from you or you will withhold from me or I will give to you if you do this. I will give to you. And it's not even about what it's supposed to be about. Right. It's an ex- it's almost it's tra- like money. It's transactional. It's transactional, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so and and I think for some women, because I've worked with them, they don't know any other sex than that, Mike. That's right. You only know what you know. Right? Yes. We don't know what we don't know, right? Yes. So that, that's the danger. And that's why education becomes so important for parents. Because if you're not teaching your kids healthy sexuality, they're not going to get it somewhere else. This myth that, well, they'll get it at school, they'll get it from, you don't want them getting it from the friends. Right. No. That's not going to be a pretty scene. You don't want them getting it from p- p- pornography, which is where they're turning to because parents aren't giving it to them. We were at an alternative high school just two days ago in Wisconsin. And what I love about alternative high schools is these are students that have no holds bar. Right. When you're in a room with them, they're going to say whatever's on their mind. I don't even know what an alternative high school is. So what an alternative high school is, and there's a lot of ways to define it, but these are typically students who the traditional system wasn't built for. Hmm. It wasn't built for them. And so when they can go into a small setting where they can learn very one-on-one, mm, very much it. on their own project level, they can thrive mm. at a much better level where they might have failed out the traditional system. And they might have been. Or legally, they might have been in trouble and they had these struggles. So a more one-on-one environment creates that. And the alternative high schools are these smaller, intimate Designed and the teachers are built for this. This is the people who love working with students and figuring out what is what triggers you to excel, what and learning that about them. And the students that are in there because they've already battled so hard through life, they'll mess around. They'll tell you that you're an idiot or you don't know what you're talking about, but they'll also tell you when, wow, this is awesome, this is amazing. So it's a great atmosphere to be in. And we're having this conversation with them about how you talk about sex. And a language nowadays, it's very common wording is to smash. You don't say we had sex. You say we smashed. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It's been common for about two years. Okay. Yeah. We smashed. And so we just paused and said, well, why don't you say we had sex? Well, that'd be weird. (laughs) Wow. That'd be weird. That'd make it awkward. Well, why would it be awkward? Is it awkward because you're awkward talking about sex? And you hear the silence. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't. Was that a problem that you can say you smashed another person? But you can't even talk about what that meant or what you did or mm-hmm. how intimate that was. And they're smart, right? Just like we all are. And they're like, that's messed up. Right. That is messed up. Yeah. And we got all done. And a teacher who was new to the school, because I, I work with the school every year, she was new. She came up. She's like, why aren't we having this conversation in every school in this country? This honest conversation. Yeah about what sex can be, what it should be, versus how it's being lived today and how harmful and dangerous that is. If you're not having these conversations with your children, and here's the best part, when you're teaching others, you become better. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's true of any. You're a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, Kathy. The, when you're working with others, it, it triggers yourself to go, am I doing that in my own life? Like, am I following my own rules right now? Yeah. Uh, and so it allows, same with when you're working with the men's group, right? Yeah. It, for you, Todd, it allows you to do that. So when you're sharing with others and you're engaging with others in the conversations, it makes you, as you go into that bedroom going, am I fully present right now? Mm-hmm. 
Am, am I thinking about this or that going on in my mind? And you said, you know, a lot of people don't even know what healthy sex is. Yes. So we got to talk to friends about what is it like? Uh, what is an orgasm? Mm -hmm. Yes. What's a what's an orgasm versus the amazing one? Yeah. Because yes. sometimes they're not amazing. And are we okay understanding that sometimes we're going to have sex and it's not going to be amazing? Are we okay with that? Mm -hmm. Right? That sometimes it's going to be, yep, it's not going to be amazing. And I have to, we have to look each other in the eye and go, yeah, sometimes that, okay, it was still good. What's weird about Without this? Without getting guilt. Like, oh, I wasn't the greatest in bed today. Right, that it was somehow a personal slight. I, I failed. They, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't do the things they do in porn. They weren't, mm. you know, all these mm. things weren't happening without me getting too descriptive. That's so funny because I just watched the Seinfeld two days thought ago. thought you were going to say I just watched porn. No, I was like, I this is not what I expected from. I was like, Kathy, <laughs> keep some things to yourself. No, I just watched the Seinfeld, which was from the 90s, about Elaine admitting to... Jerry that she faked it, you know, fake, 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 fake. It's like a great scene. And he, it, he can't be her friend. He's like, I can't see you. I fake, can't be fake, with you. Fake, 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 <laughs> fake. <There> she is. <laughs> and, and then he, he insists on them doing it again. So yeah, he I can remember prove that. his point. And right. of course he cannot right. because, it's, but it's just so funny how that sums up. And again, that was kind of new. People weren't talking about fake orgasms. I mean, maybe when Harry met Sally. Yeah, that's the pinnacle one yeah. was the hair when Harry met Sally, correct? Yes. And one other thing about this. But let's is, pause on that. Yes. How sad that we all knew those scenes. Yes. That that, that was reality. We mm. were laughing because we're like, oh my gosh, that's true. Or people were going, that is true. Because yes. they thought, wait, is my partner doing that with me? And they didn't have a clue that that might be possible. Right. Right. And people are going, well, if it makes them feel good, Wait. No, like you shouldn't be giving up your authentic self. You should be giving that up just so they feel good. Right. That's messed up. In fact, if this isn't rocking your world, I don't want you to fake it because I want to figure it out. Right. Right. So if you've been taught to fake it to make me feel good, I'm not able to figure out how to make you feel good. And that feels good for me. Like we're all being cheated here. Can and we hear can we hear from Jerry and Elaine really quick? Yes, but can because this scene is not going to be in there, there's just to, to that point, because we all left at this scene too, Elaine at some point calls her friend in the office and says, You know, do you ever fake? And she's like, Oh yeah. And she's like, When? She's like, When he gets good theater tickets. And we're all like, right. ha, 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 That's ha, a transaction. That's a transaction. Okay, go ahead. Yep. I guess after that many beers, he's probably a little groggy anyway. You didn't know. Okay. You didn't know. Are you saying I think I'll have a piece of cake with me? Yeah. You faked with me? Yeah. You faked with me? Yes. No. Yes. You faked it. I faked it. That whole thing, the whole production, it was all an act. Not bad, huh? What about the breathing, the panting, the moaning, the screaming? Fake, 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 fake. I'm stunned. I'm shocked. How many times did you do this? Uh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> you got a chocolate mocha. What's funny about that is I kind of relate, you know, and I don't know where I'm going with this, but Jerry is insulted. Like his manhood is at stake because he was not able to naturally give a woman an orgasm. It's just. And most men have had that concern, fear of reality in their life. Yeah. Right. And, and they're not just men. People of all genders can have this fear that I didn't please my partner. Correct. But it is a question of your. 
how good you are, mm. right? This this reward system, this score system. Yeah. Uh, and it, pornography, because of how much it's portrayed out there, creates this unrealistic standard that is it, it is beyond we shouldn't even call it standard it should be called fantasy because yeah unrealistic is, is not the word like no. the word is lies right oh, it's blatant sure. lies yes right and so what happens is we are comparing ourselves to a unhealthy fantasy mm-hmm. not just a fantasy an unhealthy fantasy standard and then so we lose confidence in our own sexuality therefore we are less attractive yeah we are less fun in bed because we're up in our heads, yeah. and I know somebody just thought, which hood? Yeah, uh, but right. we're, we're, we're up in the cranial <laughs> areas where we are, uh, and we are thinking too much. We're not present in the moment. Uh, it is disappointing when your partner isn't naturally having those incredible feelings, yeah. but disappointment's part of honesty yes. right? and yes. realistic, so that when it is real, you're like, oh, the today was oh, right. that just rocked. Right. right. And it's okay that it doesn't always rock, but that's our goal, mm. but it's not always going to happen, just right. like everything in life. We have goals, but it doesn't always happen. Right. Well, and here's something important that Todd and I, we've talked about doing a show about this, but I'm always a little leery about giving away too much of our own personal lives yeah. in this intimacy discussion, but here is something that I think is valuable to share. This is also within a paradigm that doesn't involve women. And what I mean by that is being good in bed means having a woman respond in a way the man would respond. I'm going to do to you what I like, and you better respond, or you're cold, frigid, detached, or you don't love me. Mm-hmm. So the par- what I have explained to Todd over the course of our marriage is because he used to laugh at me because sometimes we'd finally relax and we'd be settling down, and he'd be li- very laser-focused, mm-hmm. right? And I would be like, is the door locked? Mm-hmm. Did you tell the girls what you were supposed to tell them? Oh, wait a second. I got to write something down. Yeah, you down need really to check quick. all these things off your list before you're ready. I, and-, and it's not even checking them off the list. I want to be clear. It's not a productivity thing. It's a when I finally relax, I am not laser focused. My brain goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's almost like you're a, the radar. once I close my eyes, it's like a meditation where, you know, when you, for those of you who meditate, when your thoughts come racing in, that's what happens. And in very long time ago, Todd wouldn't, you wouldn't get offended, but you'd be like, why aren't you focused on me? Or why aren't you thinking about me? And my thought is, why aren't you understanding that this is how I relax? Mm-hmm. But there's this paradigm of you have to do this the way that I see sex or else you, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Well, and that's where talking becomes critically important. I, I was recently hearing an expert talk on this topic about how, awesome. what we bring into the room before the sexual intimacy begins. And it was a really interesting insight on what if we had that conversation outside the room? Hmm. So, that when we, so that when we enter the room, I am free of all that. And I'm not in bed now because what happens is this works for both. The one is now saying this is freeing me and the other one's going, this is now putting my mind into those things. Yes. So we're one's winning at the cost of the other one losing. We don't want this win-lose kind of thing going on. What if we could have this conversation outside the room so that when we go in there, it's free, whether that's in front of the fireplace or that's wherever it is that you can have that. But, but let's go back even to how you even know what your partner is enjoying based on unrealistic, unhealthy fantasy. What do we mean by that? The guy typically wants to hear the woman hear the woman, mm-hmm. right? He, she wants to hear you. You're amazing. You're rocking my world. You're cute. You're hard. Whatever they want to hear or whatever the partner. And we want to be very clear. We're using male woman here a lot, but it could be any partner. They want to hear that because porn has said that's what shows success. Yeah. Movies has said that's what shows success. Mm-hmm. But what if instead... You knew that that partner, that when they're having their most amazing moment, they go quiet. 
And suddenly they'll go quiet and you're like, oh, damn, it's happening. Right. right. But because you knew that. Right. And some people go, well, you'll learn that over time. Well, not if neither of you have learned how to be that comfortable with each other. You might not be being your authentic selves. So what about asking a partner, hey, when we're having fun and, and it's really turning it on for you and you're just taking it to it's going to a whole nother level. How do you like to be? Because I know I might ask you questions at that point to hear feedback. And maybe you don't want me asking questions at that point for that feedback. What do you, what would you love to have happen at that moment? Mm -hmm. What are the, what do you notice happens with your body and share? Like I notice when I'm doing this with your body, it's doing this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Are you aware that it's doing this? This is, and they might be, I know I didn't know it was doing that. That's really interesting because I'm feeling this. Yeah. And then I might then learn, oh, that's a good for me to know when they do that. Stop, keep doing what I'm doing. Like, don't change because they hate it when you change, right. when they're given that signal. Yeah. Right? right. But this all requires conversation. This all requires an, an honest listening of back and forth that without, with being vulnerable, without fear of judgment. Well, this reminds me of Astaire because you, you watch, you saw Astaire at the Empowering Emerging Women, Women. Emerging Women thing. And, uh, you know, she, it's funny, Mike, you talk about pronouns and you're, you're really good with when you say, you know, one versus the, always the boy or always the girl. He's all inclusive. You're good at that. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to discuss it when in terms of generalities, I just think it's, it's just, you're sharing your experience. Right. Um, and when, but what Esther, when you came home from that workshop and you're like, Esther, she, she gave me a light bulb moment and it was about the way many women experience sex. It's a very, this is going to come out with the wrong word, but it's it's a narcissistic, it's about self. It's not about like when when there's a woman that is getting into that place, they go inward. Right. And Do you and, know what I mean? And I know exactly what you're saying, but I will take the word narcissistic out of it because <laughs> <Okay>. that's negative. <laughs> What's the word? The, they become more in self-aware. tune and self-aware. With about what's, what's going on in them. And they get the opportunity to let go. Okay. Let me just back up for a second. Again, speaking generally from my experiences and the, and yes. the women I work with, and because we can all be in this way, but women always feel the need to give, be on, be doing, be giving, be sharing, be caring, okay? When sex is really great for a woman is when they don't have to do all that work. Yeah. And that, and I'm not saying that they then show up and do nothing. Right. It's just if you just allow them to relax and and it's not and again i think people get in their mind that then it means it's all about receiving that's not true either yeah. because the more that a woman is able to just show up without all that you need to do this you need to do that you need to say this you need to wear that mm-hmm. you need to mm-hmm. she can just once she goes inside herself that way, then it's easy for her to give from yes. an authentic place. Right. So, and let's be fair. Men are, if we're going to use the word narcissistic. <laughs> totally. In sex. Yes, that's so I true. Mean, I mean, we're the epitome of it by the way society pictures us. Yeah. I'm not saying that men are, but by the way it's pictured, right? Tell me how great I am. Tell me mm-hmm. how this I am. Yes. I mean, it's very narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Tell me that I'm the greatest you've ever had. I mean, just think about that. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's how the world portrays it. So what's interesting about that is John Gray is an author. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. And it's funny. He's written some books that I completely agree with and identify with. I just heard a podcast about him recently, and I was more confused. It was with him, not about him. Yes. Yeah. It, I was more confused than anything else. But in Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, in the bedroom, he talks about how what you just said is actually not what happens. Whatever. A healthy man's, the way he feels valued in the bedroom is if his woman 
experiences everything that she wants, or his partner experiences everything that they want to experience. Yes, but sorry, but not because of the mutuality of it. Right. It's because he conquered her. Yes, that's right. That's the problem. Right. So it's not that I'm <laughs> focused on, oh, look what I did for her. It's look what I yes, did. That's right? true. That's the that's the problem. Right. Versus how can we both come to this situation and just be ourselves, be present. And how do we get rid of all that mm-hmm. stuff? How do we get rid of that? Mm. You know, how, what imagine if before you had sex with someone the first time, you could say, what are the stupid hangups you have? And before we do this, let's just get it out of the way. What are hangups you have? Right. And what if somebody could say, well, I hate my hips. Mm. I hate my this, or I hate my that, or I think I have a small this. Well, you know what? I'm, if we're having fun, that's the least thing I'm going to care about. Right. So then you get to have fun with it. Like, that's the least thing I'm going to be worried about. So just so you know, you can let that go and go and you can have fun like that. So we reference pop culture all the time. And I forget, I get these two movies confused. There's one with Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman. But there's another one with uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher's wife. Who's his wife in real life right now? Mila Kunis. And, And Justin Timberlake. Yes. That one. And that one, they're about to have a sexual experience. And in the beginning, they t- they tell each other all those things. Like, I like this, I don't like that. And I've just, I the reason I remember that is because you never see that in movies. Right. They basically give each other like the playbook on how to do this and do it well. Do you remember that part or Vaguely. no? Vaguely. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, and that we should be teaching how to have those conversations. Now, people listening might be going, what does this have to do with the whole me too? I mean, that's where we start. It all lines up. It does. Because if we were teaching people how to communicate and respect each other's wants, needs, and drives, and and hangups, and all of this, uh, we would not have people forcing sexual violence on others. Mm-hmm. And in the times we would, it would be so blatantly wrong by all of society that those people would be pariahs right. who are doing that. Yeah. Uh, And it would not have taken us decades and centuries to get to where we are today, where we are creating a safer space for survivors to come forward. Let's also be very clear, though. We're still not a safe space. No. Right. What we have shown is that very powerful people in politically high offices have been spoken out against. Mm -hmm. What we don't know is if the person down at the bank is afraid to talk out about the president of the bank. Mm -hmm. Yep. With that, that we don't know if we're even close to in this Mm -hmm. world. Uh, And so we still have a long ways to go. But it all starts by transforming our culture so it's not what it is today. Right, because the thing, the reason what you describe, Mike, and Todd, what you're describing, the reason why that we have this problem is because we don't communicate, we make assumptions, and we go off of other people's stories, and we go off of other, and what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of Charlie Rose, and one of the things I read is that, okay, he's a much, much older man, right, and he would sometimes approach women in a bathrobe or in, you know, whatever way, and his comment, what he said was, um, you know, I had no idea that these women were not interested in me and that this wasn't consensual. And I am thinking to myself, you think a 20-year-old woman? Do you think he really is, believed that? He he said it in a statement. I know you say something. Do you think he... I think it's possible he believed it. Really? Yes. Yep. And, and I'm not letting him off the hook with right. that. What that I'm doesn't saying in any is way that's the confusion the right. that there is where I do think that some men will say, well, when I masturbated in front of you, that's that's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. And he may really have a belief system of you liked that, or it's my way of demonstrating to you how much I, 
I wanted you. And that's the this is the miscommunication. Like going back to the school, and first of all, I, I wrote down the word smashing because think about that word. Oh, that's what I went into. We went in a whole conversation. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but here's a few other ways you can connect with ZPR. Want to find a community of like-minded parents? Join Team Zen. It's an interactive podcast, U.S. Questions Live, and we answer. We have a private Facebook page. We offer special discounts on certain events. There's really no commitment for you. You just show up when you can. If you miss, no problem. We'll send out a recording so you can listen slash watch whenever you want. Uh, Number two, uh, guys, do you feel stuck in one aspect of your life? No worries. I am a life coach, and I specialize in working with men. I'll help you get from point A, where you are, to point B, where you want to go. We can meet face-to-face, on the phone, or Skype. The first session is free. Ladies, need some one-on-one attention? Kathy's here to help. She offers individual sessions for women in Chicagoland. She focuses on women's self-awareness, marriage, and parenting, and she also works with therapists and coaches who want support on supervision with their existing practice. Want to get inspired and meet your tribe in person? March 2nd and 3rd is our third annual Zen Parenting Conference. Our keynote speakers are Cheryl Strayed, the author of the book Wild, Mike Domish from the Date Safe Project, and singer-songwriter and amazing women's advocate, Milk. We once again will be bringing parents, teachers, and authors, bloggers, and teens. It's a great way to network and find your tribe. And by the way, if you have a business and you're interested in partnering with us at the conference, email me at todd at zenparentingradio.com. And don't forget, if you're a a fan of ZPR, you need to get Kathy's award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can find her book on our website, or you can go to Amazon. And lastly, if you're looking for a keynote or a presenter, Kathy and I speak to groups, either individually or together. We focus on self-awareness, mindfulness, compassion, marriage, parenting, and how to live a more conscious life. For all this stuff, you can go to zenparentingradio.com and you can check it out. We appreciate you and we're thankful for your support. Now on with the show. Down the word smashing because think about that word. Oh, that's what I went into. We went in a whole conversation on how violent, how, violent. how cold, yeah. how hor- humiliating. Sounds right, like to be a car accident. By another person. Yeah. Uh, there's so much wrong with that. And this is what we're talking about. Let, let, I'm going to go back a little yeah. bit because when we heard about Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose, yeah. a lot of people, especially a lot of people I work with on Facebook, were like, not Charlie Rose. Yeah. No, or mm-hmm. not Matt Lauer, the good guy. Yeah, I love that. I love them. It can't be them. And that's the whole problem. That is it. This idea that only the evil ones yeah. are the ones we need to talk with. Yeah. See, if you make it about evil and good, you never have to look in the mirror because you're not evil. Yep. If we understand that this is not about who's a good guy or a good woman or a bad guy or a bad woman, this is about power, yeah. human behavior, and how are ways that we get caught into it get sucked into it, act that way subtly, not nearly to the extremes of this, but how do I look in the mirror and go, can I somehow engage that way as a fellow human being? Because as soon as you say evil, well, I don't need to worry about it because that's an evil person. Right, and no woman has told me I've bothered them. And a lot of people will say, uh, also, if I think it's the evil ones, I don't have to worry about the people around me. So my world is safer 
because I believe this is good and evil and I don't put my life, I don't, and you'll even hear people say that. Well, I wouldn't put myself in that situation because you think you can identify good and evil everywhere. Right. Instead of understanding this is humanity and humanity has dark sides to it. Mm, It is part of humanity and that doesn't excuse it. That means we need to call it out as an abuse of power, not good and bad, an abuse of power and hold those people responsible as regardless of how much we loved or hated them before it happened. And I want to say this for the women I talked to after the Me Too hashtag came out and a lot of women were sharing their stories really openly, and I did on this show. So there were some women who said to me, well, I saw you know, the hashtag, but I was thinking of my life and I really don't have anything to say. And again, I wasn't like, oh, yes, you do. But I was like, well, that's that's interesting. You know, so tell me, you know, so you've never had an experience with you know, somebody, you know, maybe catcalling you or you've never had an experience with someone hitting on you and hitting on you and continuing to or putting their hand on your butt. Well, yeah, I've had that. And I'm like, well, it's not that you have to then go call the police, but you have experienced that power issue that people are saying me too. I think we get into that game again of um, theirs was worse. So I don't have anything to say. You know, someone who was raped has quite, that's, a significant story that is that crosses the line into legal issues and same with you know sexual harassment in the workplace and again those are ish- things that need to be looked at but we have all as women lived within a patriarchy where certain things have become so normalized yeah, you don't that even we recognize can't even it. see yeah. that's correct what's happening yeah i'll give you a great example of that is people like to say one in four women have experienced sexual assault by the age of 22 it's a very common research statistically number you'll hear about and i always say don't ever say that it's so messed up. Mm. People are like, what do you mean it's messed up? Well, if I had 100 women in this room who were age 22 and had been sexually active, and I said to them, how many of you have had a partner sexually touch you before you wanted to be touched or when you were not in the mood, and you said no, and they kept going just a little bit just to try to get you warmed up, but they're sexually fondling you, touching you, uh, and then they stopped because you were like, no, this isn't happening. So maybe they did end up stopping. How many of you have had somebody do that just to try to, try to get things going? What percentage of those 100 are going to go, uh, duh? 90, 95. Now, yeah, the women in the room in, in campuses, military organizations are like 90 to 100. 90 to 100, no question. So why'd you tell me one in four experienced sexual assault? Wow, I've never heard it th- uh, described that way. Yeah, it's nine out of 10 oh have experienced a fourth degree sexual assault in most states, sexual contact without consent, which means we all have to look in the mirror and say, how have I been part of this discussion? Yes. What has been my role when I was a teenager, when I was 20, when I am now? How do I do this? How do I engage in this? How am I part of this discussion? Well, Same with sexual harassment. How have I made comments that have, that have added to this culture instead of going, I would never? Well, and that's what we need to do as men. Like, I'm going to be in the, I'm going to have the, the opportunity to be in front of a group of men Tuesday night and hopefully thereafter. And I need to own my own role and responsibility in that. And I would say most of us would probably say, yeah, I, you know, we're taught as young boys, keep going until they say no. Right? That's right. Well, it's, and it's, think about how predatorial that is. I'm not going to give you a chance to say no. You have to take it. Yes. So, you have to take it. And, I, and then we're going to blame you, mm-hmm. the person who it was done to, not the person who made the choice to do that to you. There's so much wrong in this. And and that's why when we're hearing about sexual harassment right now in the workplace, we have to every company, the worst thing you can do is do sexual harassment training that says don't, here's what sexual harassment is, don't do it. Because what it does is it makes people think, I don't do that, I don't need to engage, yes. and nothing changes after that. 
we need to have the conversation in every organization in this country, in every corporation in this country, what does a culture of respect even mean? Mm. Yeah. To work in a culture of respect, what does that look like? How do we fail in our organization to do that? Mm-hmm. Where are the trigger points? How are we? Because that's what leads to this happening. If we cut it out there, we don't have to worry about a massive problem in sexual harassment if you've created a culture of respect. doesn't mean it will never happen, but we can greatly reduce it if we're working from a culture of respect in the first place, and we're not. We aren't. We are not. And people go, well, like, what would be an example? I earlier, and I caught it right when I did it, uh, Kathy, I was, I was waiting for a moment to apologize. Earlier, we were saying, well, what are women thinking? And you start talking, and for one moment, I said self-aware. I cut in there. Mm. That's that's inappropriate. Mm. Mm, Your voice was being exercised and I cut it out. You, you kept, I shut up and you kept going, but it still was inappropriate. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have cut that. Up, so I apologize for that. Mm. But being aware enough to know my interrupting degrades you. Yes. Mm. Because well, it's an absolute, I have, I have privilege and I have power and I took your voice away for a moment. And I grew up thinking that my parents didn't teach me this. They taught me wonderfully, but I somehow along the way learned that my way to be heard was to just speak out every chance I get and just say what I'm thinking. So I interrupt or I think I'm saving time. So since Harvey Weinstein, I have had a hypersensitivity because I'm in a lot of meetings with my work and most of the time there's, you know, 15 guys and five women. And I have been very attuned to see how often people get interrupted and I will tell you, without exception, these women get interrupted more often and quicker than the men. And I want to say two things. Number one, thank you for that. I didn't even recognize it, but I appreciate the self-awareness that you had, you know, because that's just cool. Todd, one thing that I wrote down from 30 minutes ago in this conversation is you, and again, sometimes I know your words, like you're trying to make a point and I'm focusing on the words, but you were talking about the women who work in your industry and you were saying, I feel bad for them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I give them a hug. Yes. Okay. The, the issue with that is that they don't need you to feel bad for them. They need you to be their ally and to treat them with the same sense of respect. They don't need hugs and 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 for you to feel sorry for them. They need you to stand up for them, not because you're trying to get more women in there, but because they're good. Right. And you speak up for them. And and I want to say this because I made that comment. I know that just recently there was a board position that came open yeah. and you advocated for a certain woman to be on that board and there was a lot of like you know, yeah. maybe, maybe. And you said, this is the, right. So I know you're already doing that, but just as long as Mike's talking about words, right. they don't need, oh, I'm so sorry. This field is hard. But, they need you to speak up. And maybe I'm trying to win an argument and I'm an ego right now, but I feel like that hug is me demonstrating. I have your back. We have each other's back. You have a, a support person. But do in you hug me. other men D- to sh- demonstrate that you have, that they support you? Or do you shake their hand and say, I respect you? More often I shake their hand. So that's the shift. Right. So you, it's not about your heart. Your heart is good mm. and true. Like Mike said, this is not, are you good and evil? And I can decide you're good and evil. We're all good and evil. Good and evil. Yeah. It's what are my, you always say this. How does it land? Mm-hmm. My intention is What's one the impact? Thing. What's the impact? I saw a Facebook post. I love this conversation. I saw a Facebook post recently that said, I'm responsible for what I say, not how you understand it. Mm. And it was Ouch. being shared all over. Wow. And I said, that is pathetic. Yeah. That is self-righteous. And I've been all those things. Yep. I've been there. And I've even probably spoke words like that. I know I have. 
It's just that now I look at that and go, how messed up is that? Mm -hmm. I can be completely irresponsible for my words and then blame you Mm. for how you interpreted them. That's messed up. So here's a good question for everyone listening right now. We're talking about Todd, like in the workplace with everything going on and everybody's sensitive right now to sexual harassment. You don't hear anybody asking, walking around the office going, we need to have a meeting. Let's talk about what triggers individuals in the office so we don't engage in that behavior. Mm. Nobody's having that conversation in this country. What are behaviors that trigger an environment of intimidation, of fearfulness? Because these are all the words under harassment, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so what does that? Uh, And for instance, if I get louder when I talk to you, Mm -hmm. does that intimidate you? Mm -hmm. I would have never have thought of that because I get loud because I'm excited. That's just what I do. So recently I'm on a phone call with one of my teammates and I can hear something's wrong can hear something's wrong on the call. And, but I don't know what it is. And she suddenly says, Mike, um, can I call you back? And I'm like, sure, sure. So get off the phone and she, I'm thinking, okay, in a minute she'll call back. I need to figure out what, what just happened there because something went wrong. So she didn't call back in a minute. It was like 20 minutes. So you're going, oh my goodness, what did, what did I do? All right, so now I know some people listening going, maybe it's nothing, but I was thinking it could have been So she calls back. She starts to go right back into business. And I said, can I pause? Did I say or do something before that created an elephant in this room that I am unaware of, that I should be aware of? Like I should, it's not your responsibility to tell me, but I'm not figuring this out. Did I cause that? And she paused and she said, you were getting loud Mm. and you were getting excited and you were getting loud. And I heard it as yelling and I get triggered when people yell. I do not do well with it. Mm -hmm. And it's been a rough day and a rough week. And that made it a very difficult situation. And she goes, but Mike, I know you didn't mean that. You get excited. I know that's not who you are. So that's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, yes, it is. Because I chose that energy. I chose to get that excited and that loud. And I never asked you what are ways that I trigger you at times Mm. before that call ever happened. And we've been working together for over a year. Mm. How did I not ask that sooner? That's my failure. Well, as a leader of an organization, I should care enough about you to know that about you. I should be able to look you in the eyes and say, Hey, what are ways that I sometimes can get loud or demonstrative or just act that can put you off, that can make it uncomfortable, that can be triggering. I should have asked those questions. Well, here's what's so important about this, because I know there's people listening, especially if maybe a you know woman, a man and woman are sitting together, and a man will say, oh, it's so Now I got to worry about how loud I am. And he'll say, but this is what's normal. People get loud. I get excited. This is, and again, hear me. I'm not trying to do some crazy feminist thing, is the definition of the patriarchy. Our norms have been established by what men do what men feel comfortable doing, what's normal for men, and women have to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. What Mike is talking about, what you and I are talking about, Todd, is what if both people had a voice in what was healthy? It's not as if your conversation wouldn't continue. It would continue and you'd be the same Mike. You just might be thoughtful of the tone of your voice. Well, not only that, we'd be more successful as an organization. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone would feel cherished. Everyone would feel honored. Everyone would feel valued. We had this conversation. I was with a corporation in Miami on Monday. And I said, what would it feel like if genuinely you worked in an environment of absolute respect? And people are like, I love my job every day. I'd love coming here. I'd love doing this. Uh, And that doesn't mean they didn't at that point. But they were just like, it would do this, this, and this. 
In no way would people sit in there going, it would ruin my company. Because <laughs> if you're saying that treating everybody with respect and caring about how they're heard, how they're valued would ruin your company, you have just said how your company's been founded to date. Yes. To not care. Wow. That what I do is your problem. That's not the way you develop individuals to be better human beings or your ourselves. So if you're a couple sitting there listening right now going, what does this mean? This means look each other after this podcast and say, what do I do that triggers you? Mm. What do I do that makes you uncomfortable? Mm. I want to be aware of that. Uh, I more and more have had to battle that my loud voice can irritate my wife way more than it does anyone else on this planet. Interesting. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting next to me in the same proximity, you don't push back or move away, but sometimes she'll move away. And I'd be like, no one else does that. It can't be me because <laughs> no one else does that to me. No one, no one else has to listen to that 90% of the year. I do. So mm -hmm. there's a stronger reaction. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, okay, not, I don't want to admit it, but what might I have to change in those moments? So she doesn't feel she needs to push away because she is very sensitive to sound. I do get loud, that's going to trigger. I need to be aware of that. If I care about her, I don't want her to, to be hurting by my value. Right. That's not going to help. And here's the thing. And then some people listening, I'm totally getting into other people's heads. They'll say, but then that's who Mike is. And he likes to be loud and excited. There are people that Mike can be with that he can be loud and excited with, and he can still do that. And not that. worry about and it. Now, and that's, and, and it. And that's okay. But what he's trying to build, and this is what the core of this podcast has always been about, how do you form a relationship? And a relationship is not coming in and being yourself and, and saying to the other person, sorry, you just have to deal with- Accommodate me. Accommodate me at all times. That's not a relationship. And so Mike has a relationship with his wife that's essential, a relationship with other people that maybe he's loud with mm -hmm. that's essential. But what he, what you said is so true, Mike, is that this whole thinking about how do I affect people, it makes us better people. It's not just about, it's about the relationship. And then when I become conscious of how I affect people, I become a better person because I become more conscious of what I'm doing. One of my favorite quotes that I learned from Mankind Project, a man in a circle shared with this and I have to clean it up, but he said, uh, <laughs> F intention or screw intention. What's the impact? Mm -hmm. Because as guys, we're always like, well, I didn't, Kathy, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings when I I didn't call you back or I didn't mean to do this when I went out with my buddies. Who cares what you meant? What's the impact of your actions? And, and the, then take radical responsibility for everything that goes on in your life. Because a lot of the times we're, we all of a sudden become the victims. Like, oh, isn't my wife a, a this or that? And, and Yeah. And there's nothing inauthentic about you adjusting for human beings. <laughs> So if somebody, you know, people will do that. Yeah. Well, Mike's loud and obnoxious. That's who he is. If that is who you think I am, that's sad that I've projected that to the world, that that's all I am. Yeah. Right. Right. I'd rather you think Mike can be at times, but Mike's loving and he's yeah. caring and he's this. And so because I'm all these things, not just one, I have the ability to adjust my tone, my energy. So my truest heart and love can come forward to this world and make the impact I want it to make. I would care less if people thought I was loud or quiet when I die. Mm. 
So the fact that people are like, Mike's that guy that can be loud and crazy and all, that's not what I'm going to the Tombstone proud of. Yeah. I, I, I hope I'm going to Tombstone with the impact and influence I made in this world, or at least attempted to. So you just said you can choose whether or not you're loud or soft or whatever. What, what, Heidi Stevens, Heidi Stevens? Mm-hmm. Yes, on the Keebler, yep. Mm-hmm. She, she, you know her, you're friends with her, aren't you? I, or, yes, you know. I was interviewed with her by her a few years ago. Okay, so um, she came out and she was writing these articles about how you know, um, what's going on with hashtag me too. And a man wrote to her and said, why aren't you instead asking these women why they're dressing so provocatively? And for, I get triggered when I hear that comment because you talk about choice. It's as if we're a bunch of animals walking around this planet that have no ability to discern, to respond thoughtfully. Like we are like automatic triggers. Like if I, if it, and a really attractive woman goes by, then I have no choice but to pursue her. And what's crazy about that is the person who often makes that comment will also be the first to say, don't you look at my my partner that way. Right. The, well, wait, you just said you can't control yourself. Well, I can't control myself. They don't like that theory when right. it's people they care about. And it's the same concept of when I go to speak in a, you know, a university or anywhere and somebody comes up afterwards and goes... It's so wonderful, Mike, you do this work because you're a man. It's so special. Ugh. Right? And you're like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> because... Every man in the world should be insulted by that statement. Yes, because she's surprised that you're a good human being. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that should be an absolute insult. Now, I know it's meant as a compliment, <laughs> but it's like, wow, wait, three women might have spoke on that stage before me, and to none of them did they say, so wonderful as a woman, that you had the courage to go against the system that is not built for your voice to be heard at times. Uh, nope. It's uh, because you're a man. This idea that men have no control is a myth. We need to call it out as a blatant, not even a myth, it's a lie. The example I used to give when I would work with students, they'd be like, my hormones, I can't control myself. And I'd go, really? All right, you're alone with a sexual partner. You are about to engage in sexual activity. You're hot, heavy, they're hot, heavy, you're ready to go. They suddenly whisper in your, remember you just said you have no control. They suddenly whisper in your ear, oh, by the way, I have a sexually transmitted disease infection. Uh, Could be deadly, but let's have fun. All of a sudden, what do you, you do? You gain control. Every teenager's like, I'm out of the room. Yeah. Now, whether physically or emotionally, uh, they're gone. What happened? Well, I heard the consequence. Oh, so you had full control mm. of your decision making when you saw a consequence. Mm. Yes. Are we willing to look at the consequences of our words before we choose to say them? Yeah. We all have control. We're not animalistic. Consequences actually can dictate what we do. It's whether we choose to look at them or not. And here's an important point for, again, talking about this same person or this collective of people who say, well, now I have to change everything I'm looking at. Now I have to see things differently. This is tough for men. Women don't have to do this. And what I want to say very calmly is women have been doing this their entire lives. And I don't need a pat on the back for it. I don't need it. It's not about the recognition, but you must understand we have been accommodating to a system that is not set up for us since the day we were born. We go into a workplace that is not set up for us. We go we walk down the street and can feel unsafe. We, you know, go into a restaurant and there, my point is, is that when you say, well, this is all on men now and women don't have to change, we have been changing constantly. And and change is not the right word. It's we have been conscious of where we are not safe, how how we say things. Just to give an example of something, um, someone will say, well, it's a dirty joke, harassment. So, In a workplace, if a man tells a dirty joke, the issue is not about the joke. 
It's about how does the woman respond? And the woman has to think very carefully about how she responds to that joke. Because again, there is power in the room. She can laugh, which can be a self-betrayal. She can say, I don't think that's funny, she's which a, she's then, a bitch. then she, she either becomes that, which is the harshest thing, or she becomes someone, let's not have her in the meetings. Mm-hmm. Let's not bring her yeah. here because she's going to call us out on our stuff. She's want to be in the good old boys club. And they may not even say it, but it's unconscious. So when they say, who's going to go on this work trip? Uh, you know, we're going to have a bunch of dinners, so maybe not her. So my point is, is that's just an example of how we have to be thoughtful about our reaction to things constantly. So I just wanted to say that as the woman at the table because I do hear the feedback from men that they have to think so much right now. And what you said last night, and I agree with you, is yeah, be uncomfortable, guys. Yeah, you might have to think about doing things differently today than you did two months ago, and we're okay with that. And for clarity, it's not to be punitive. Mm -hmm. It's just to be conscious. I'm not not doing the ha-ha-ha, men are in trouble. All the men in my life, Mike, are amazing. I have an amazing father. I have an amazing husband, two brothers-in-law, a nephew. They are beautiful men. I have no desire to harm men, but I am okay with them being conscious. So there's a difference. Like people who think that this is a punitive, like now you're in trouble, that's not healthy. That's right. And it's what it fails to understand is this is about being the best human being you can be. Yes. And if you're going to sit there and go, well, I don't care about what kind of human being I am, well, that's sad. Mm. And you're probably not listening to this podcast. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you're probably not. Because that's what this is about, being a good human being. It's not even about being a better man or a better woman. It's about being a good human being to other human beings. That's what we're talking about here. And, you know, you gave the example of the workplace. And the component of that is that when he says that joke, does she now have to wonder if she's being evaluated the way that joke talked about women in the workplace? Therefore, it now is an intimidating workforce because she's sitting there going, are, are they thinking that about all of us in here? Especially if she, he made a comment about another woman in that office. Uh, is that how I'm valued in this office? So it has massive impact. The ripple effect. Yeah. And it, what he doesn't realize is I've been causing that harm for all these years. I got to own that instead of, well, it's the woman's fault for now being in the office. Yes. Right. And no, <laughs> it's always been you this being creating this sexist degrading environment And now you're being called out for it. You don't like that. So you become defensive. How about none of us like being called out? How about taking a breath and going, okay, how could I change? So that just doesn't happen again. What could I do? What am I learning? Just today I made a mistake. I sent an email to someone and said, hey, we got this, uh, this date and time all planned out. This is the only time that works. Does this work for you? And the person fired back and was not happy. And, and I didn't get it at first. She, and she explained. She said, my irritation is you asked me if it was okay with me after it was predetermined. Oh, you yeah. said this is all that works for me. This is all that works. <laughs> Why didn't you just say this is when it's happening? I might still be upset, but you didn't ask. And then my, my and I'm like, well, that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should have figured that out. And I just emailed back. I apologize. I'm sorry. Because I'm now going to learn from that. Hmm. That I... I teach people, ask the question all the time, but did I give them the best choice possible? Did I even give them a choice really? And Mike, that is such a perfect example because that's a human issue. It doesn't matter if a woman is receiving that you know, email or a man is receiving yeah. that email. Basically, that's just a communication. So that's exactly what we're saying is we try and be so specific, like I'm going to talk this way to a woman, I'm going to talk this way to a man. That learning maybe that came through a woman is something that you can apply in all situations to whatever gender. Mm-hmm. 
That's so right. That's the key to this. That is that when we start to get too polarized again, where we say, no, I have to treat a woman this way or I have to treat a man this way. Again, reiterating Mike's words, this is a human issue. This is just maybe I end up learning this from a woman, but then I apply it with my son or my, you know, someone at work. And the most ridiculous part about this at times is this idea that I can't say that to a woman, but I can to a man and you destroyed him. But you thought because he was a man, he doesn't have feelings. Mm. Good point. So, th- I mean, that's a big, big problem out there. People think, well, I would, I would never say that to a woman, but I'll say to a guy, you jerk. Yeah. And he walks away going, what the heck did I? And, and most guys, when they're honest and with friends and vulnerable, they'll be like, that bothered me. Like, that, that took a shot at me, and I'm still bothered by it. I am a human being. It goes back to I'm a human being. Speak to that a little more, because this is definitely the place I think we should round up, is that we're talking about women and how they're treated. But, Todd, you mentioned this on the show, too, so you probably want to say something. But, like, how – when women are – they're do, you know, Me Too is in the air – how do they engage men, and what is like? What do they need to be thoughtful of in this process? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe push back a little bit on that. Yeah. I don't want women thinking, "How do I need to engage men?" Oh, good, mm. good. I like because that. I don't want it their responsibility to fix men or any individual or any person. I don't want it to be their responsibility. I was somebody was just messaging me the other day in a professional organization that I'm also a member of, and they said, "Mike, I heard you might be speaking to this upcoming event." Here's something that was just shared by this group, and it's and it is professional women in the group, uh, and it was how to be safe when you're traveling as a woman, and mm. all of it was don't do this, don't do that, and one of them was even don't dress provocatively, and I'm sitting there going, please tell me that that, and she's like, this was sent out by women, and I think some people are surprised, like professional women are sending out that. And we forget that whether you're a man or a woman, those lessons have been taught. Oh, yeah. I'm asking you this question. Right. It just tells you. Right. So we need to back up and go, you know, during all of this going on, how am I present for those in my life mm. versus uh, how do I get men engaged? How do I get women engaged? Uh, how can I just be present for who needs me right now during this time? Uh, mm. Who's confused? Some people may think, well, maybe men are confused. Okay, well, then maybe that's a man. But maybe it's, I know women that are confused. Going, oh. I don't understand why women waited this long. Uh, so the gender doesn't, isn't specific there. Who is hurting? Who's confused? Who is defensive? How can I be present to help them have a shift maybe? Support them, not fix them, but support them in a shift that might really help here. What I don't want to do, and I used to do this for years, I don't want to fix anyone. Cause then I'm charged up and I'm going to, I'm on a mission and I'm going to fix you. How can I be present to support a potential shift if they're mm. open to the shift? Mm. That's good. I love it. Thank you for that. So, answer. The, and, and this is messy. This is tricky because I agree with you. Like, I don't want, you said something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't want women having to worry about how to engage, how them. to engage men, but a, a few different things. And this might be random. You're going to lose a lot of the men if, you, if, if there's not some consideration, like we have to be realistic where a lot of these men are. And if all of a sudden we are like, well, I don't care. You know, I've been, you know, oppressed for so long and you guys deal with it. I think that that is not going to be as effective and impactful. So let's pause there. Okay. Because that would be, if you did the opposite of what we just said, that would be if I don't care about anyone, Mm -hmm. but we're saying actually be open to feeling what everyone around you is feeling. Right. So if that person is being defensive, if there, it happens to be in this case a guy that's being defensive, 
asking yourself, is there some way I can provide this person a shift? Mm -hmm. Yes. Caring, loving, empathetic that I can provide versus winning an argument with them on why they need to wake up. Because when we saw Brene, uh, what's the name of the book she wrote? Braving the Wilderness. And she just talks about how, you know, the minute anybody dehumanizes anybody else, because a lot of women out there are probably thinking, oh, aren't men monsters? Some, but not all. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah. But there's some women that think that. And there's some men who think men are monsters. Of course. Ooh, good point. Whenever the dehumanization comes in, I don't know if there's a way out when that happens. So we need to, you know, kind of, like I'm so all over the board here because, you know, whatever, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, whoever... I look at them as they have to suffer all the consequences that that they have created. Uh, but having said that, I look at any perpetu- perpetrator, whether they murdered somebody or they sexually harassed somebody, there's a little boy inside that man who got messed up mm-hmm. at some point. And it's the balance between, yes, every consequence that comes that person's way for doing whatever it is they did, they need to deal with that. And here's the thing I said back to you, because now I'm remembering this conversation, but allow... Yes. For the space for women to be pissed for a while. Yes. Because the the thing is, is when you're like, you know, there's a little man in there. Yes. So, you know, we, we got it. Then that's the woman having to care more about your pain than her own again. And it's okay if there's a space in time, like right now, yeah. where people are just like, I'm feeling this, I'm pissed. And they may not be throwing all men under the bus, but they're not ready to reach out. Right. You know, going back to my question, they they just want to be heard. Well, and to further the contradiction even more, when we talked, uh, when we heard Brene speak, um, she said, "It's too, you're asking too much of the oppressed to c- carry the load. The people that have to carry the load are white straight males, the ones who have been in the position of power for thousands of years or hundreds of years or whatever. It's our job to talk to the men who do who feel- Who look like you. Who, yeah, like they're much more, sadly, they're much more likely to cultivate change from us than than you guys. That may not be fair. That may be wrong. But I feel like that that's the quickest path towards healing this collective wound that we've all been working through. Well, and I would say the quickest path is all of us engaging as, as human beings with empathy for each other. Yes. And and, I, and understanding each other so that we can try to get to the place we want to get to. And the problem is some of us are trying to get to different places. Yep. And we need to have that conversation. Yeah. Like some are going to say, I don't care about a mutually respectful world. I think it works okay then maybe I shouldn't be spending my time with them and all my energy that's going to get burnt up and I'm going to be hurt and I'm going to be in a bad place when I could be over here with somebody who's open to possibilities because I'm open to possibilities. I'm open to learning because you can't do this if you're going, I'm going to go around and fix everyone my way. Yeah. Because right. that means you're not open either. You want them to be open, but you're not open. So it's how to do that and be listening and aware of, of how that happens. One of my favorite quotes I just heard last week from a colleague, listening is having the ability to have your mind changed. Yes. Room for possibility. As opposed to, because you're in front of thousands of people every year and you're there to speak your opinion on how you think it is. Um, but when you're in a conversation, it you need to put yourself in a position to, you know, empathy, understanding of one's view of the world. And uh, I don't know. I just thought that that was a striking definition of the word listen, because I don't, I think most of us aren't very good at it. Well, how about this? How are we, when you talk about listening, how are we teaching our children in a gender neutral fashion to treat human beings? Yeah. So every parent out there, how have I taught my five-year-old so far to, uh, to engage in this world? Mm-hmm. Do have I given them roles? 
have I said things accidentally that are like, well, you don't cry over stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Or have I set this up so that my child is not willing to be vulnerable when they're 18 or see the effect and the impact of other human beings? And to be fair, so that my child's not taking on the pain of all their peers. Yes. Because there's a lot of children who are doing that. They're taking on everybody else's pain and they're struggling in this world because there's a lot right now. Uh, how am I bringing up the next generation so that they can engage without attachment of their self-worth to the conversation, yes. which we struggle with as adults. How can we teach children that? I thought it was, I did an event out in Oregon recently where a 13 year old raised thousands and thousands of dollars to bring us out there. It was an amazing story for her 14th birthday. Mm-hmm. So she, oh, I loved it. I posted that on our page. Yeah. So for her birthday, she held an event for, and it drew hundreds. She had a packed room, standing room only. All the media was out there. All the major ABC, NBC was all there. It was amazing because of this 13 year old's energy. And the mom made a comment about, uh, she had gone through landmark forum education. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, Todd and Kathy and I about that. And so when the daughter was struggling with something at times, the mom would say, well, have you thought about creating a new possibility for that? Mm-hmm. And the daughter's like, oh, I already have. Right. So teaching our children that you can create a new possibility for yourself, for this world, but it, uh, your self value doesn't have to attach to that right. either. I think that as we, as we wrap up this conversation of everything we're saying, we don't want anybody getting off this podcast thinking, man, I blew this or I blew that. Cause yeah. that's attaching your self value right. to recognizing mistakes we've made. Right. Even within this conversation, the three of us, I think we can all say, I'll, I'll speak for myself that I have learned certain things about the way I say things and, you know, Mike saying back to me something and then Todd in my conversation. So I'm learning this just in this conversation of my own unconscious bias toward things and how, you know, need to feel heard. And and I will say, Mike, that this conference, you know, our conference March 2nd and 3rd, we, as Todd said, you were like the first person we thought of to have there. And we have created a situation uh, where you can buy a ticket, adult plus teen, and the teen is only $25. Because we, I'm talking to everybody listening, we want you to bring your teen to this talk. Do you, and Obviously, you come too and bring your spouse and bring your friends, but this is not just for parents. This is for our kids, and it's not for Mike to teach your kids. It's for him to open the conversation so then you go home and continue it. So there is a reason why we have an adult teen ticket this year, and of course, it's for Cheryl and for Milk, but it was initiated by Mike. Mike. Yes. Well, I'm super excited about that, And, and I think, yeah, I think what's critically important for everyone to understand is no expert lives a perfect life. See, I think sometimes people listen to these discussions and they think, well, they've got it all down. That's what they no. do. You're a therapist, <laughs> Kathy. Mike does this and you work with men's group tops. They've got it all down. No. Are you kidding me? I screw up every day. <laughs> so I, I screw up as a parent. I screw up as a pro- I just told you I still at age 47 talk too loud right next to my wife. And it took me till I was 47 to realize that is my problem. <laughs> <laughs> it took me till last week to figure out that was my problem I on a walk it. around our, where we live. That uh, is so good. So to, for everyone listening to know, we don't have it down either. What we're going to do at the conference and anytime we're sharing is we're going to be able to share the best of best of practices that are in this world that our work enables us to see and discover and get to try ourselves and then get to share with you and say, 
wow, here's some life changers. And for those teenagers to go, I want to do that. I want to do the right thing. Now I have a skill set I can use. And that's what we get excited about when we're on that stage is that the amount of parents and teens that come up and go, I can't wait to try this. Yeah. I can't wait to use this. This is not motivational theory. This is skill sets that that's I'm going to gain by participating. And the conversation has been broken open, You know, meaning yeah. they don't have to go home and say, I'd like to talk to you about something I learned today. Your teen was there. Yeah. So yeah. now it's open conversation from then on. Do you know what's really amazing is towards the end when we're doing these sessions around the world, how many we give away T-shirts and books at the end for people to win. All they got to do is stand up and share something they're going to use. How many teenagers stand up for a T-shirt or book to say, I'm going to talk to my parents more? Mm. Wow. Which the mom and dad are like, whoa, like, you know, like, did that just happen? Right. And the teen, it wasn't even, they might have thought the teen was even that into the program. But they're taking it in yeah. and they're gaining the skills and realizing, wait, this is a relationship that could help me in life. I, I want to turn to this more or I want to be more honest or I, I, I want to use my parents as a bouncing, you know, reflecting board of discussion instead of my 15-year-old friend or my 13-year-old friend. You never know where the impact's going to happen, but you're right. I think that's what you said there, Kathy, is so important. It ignites a conversation when you get in the car that doesn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. that's so much more fun to engage in. That was the fastest hour and 13 minutes I think I've ever spent. The best. The best. So Mike Domish, uh, what, uh, you have a podcast, tell us more, let us help uh, support you. So <laughs> if there's somebody out there that's like, wow, this guy's good, I want to hear more or read more, what happens? Yeah, if they want, we have a podcast called The Everyday Mindfulness Show, and it's a weekly podcast. People go, it's every day? No, right. it's, <laughs> it's about living a mindfulness every day. So Everyday Mindfulness Show, you can look us up at everydaymindfulnessshow.com or just on iTunes. And it's, I just have conversations with people from around the world that some leading thought leaders that who dive into this. Sometimes it's a group that we talk about, but we really dive deep and just have a lot of fun. I always tell people, we were talking about this before. If no one listens, I love the show because I get so much out of listening to these people's conversations and brilliance. The other way is if they want to bring us to their community, they want to make a difference in their schools or universities or their companies and organizations, they can go to datesafeproject.org. So think about you want to go on a date, you want to feel safe, and you don't want to feel like it's a project. Mm-hmm. Datesafeproject.org. Get a hold of us. We'd love to come work with you. What's the name of your book? The name of the book is Can I Kiss You? You can get it everywhere, Amazon everywhere. Uh, and, yep, yeah, just Can I Kiss You? That was our big Christmas gift last year is we got it for my daughter, my niece, my nephew. Actually, I shouldn't say we, Todd. I did. Todd, he's like, everybody, and open this book. At the risk of detouring the conversation, which we're about to close, I gave it to him. I didn't ask them about nope, it. It nope. may be just sitting on their shelf. They may not look at it ever, or they may look at it when they're 19 on the years right, old. They may re- look at it on the right day. Well, I'll give you a great example of that. It's a good one maybe to close out on it. Uh, a mom emailed us about a year ago. She said, I've, I've taken my kids to each time you speak in the community, I've taken them. And they never said much afterwards. And I felt like, oh, man, I, just, I'm, I know I, I, it's got to be getting through. My daughter's away at college all of a sudden, and I get a message Mom, I went out on this date, and uh, and you had always talked about a guy should ask, or and she happened, she was with guys, uh, a guy should ask, and I knew it was right, but when this guy did it, I realized that all those years I was in those rooms for a reason because mm. this is how I want to be treated from now on, wow. mm. and it was so powerful for the mom to hear five years later. Yeah, I was listening, mom. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for, I was looking for this and now I'm learning how to ask for this in my own life. Like now it's not just going to happen because a guy did. Right. It's because I've set an expectation. This is how I want to be treated. And thank you, mom, for that. And what's, as parents, those of us who know that have older kids in their twenties, you know, you might not get the thank you till then. Yeah. Right. If ever. 
but maybe you'll see it in the relationship they have that, wow, I love watching my kid in a relationship at 22. That's fun. Mm. And it's because you created the groundwork when they were younger for that to happen. The expectation. Planting seeds. Um, so Mike's going to be one of our amazing guests at the conference, March 2nd and 3rd. If you're interested, go to zenparentingconference.com. Mike Domish, love you, brother. Love you, Todd. Thank you so love much. Love you, Kathy. Thanks for Thank having you, me. Thank you, Mike. Adios. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also tell a friend about our show. Are you a force for good? If so, then get your tickets now for the Zen Parenting Conference, March 2nd and 3rd, 2018, with Cheryl Strayed, Milk, and Mike Damish. When purchasing your tickets, consider becoming a Zen friend for our conference scholarship program. Let's make sure anyone who wants to attend can be there. Come see us. We look forward to having everyone in Chicago. Check out all of our live events at zenparentingradio.com. You can also find our virtual community of listeners that we call Team Zen. You can find books and podcasts that we recommend and so many other opportunities and resources. Go to zenparentingradio.com. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or at Amazon. And just so you know, I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys on the phone, Skype, or in person. Contact me to uncover the subtle shifts that will change your life. First appointment's free. If you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out my men's group, thetribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link found on our homepage under Support Us. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And I want to give special thanks to two of our founding partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, and they can be found at chirotree.com, and Avid, painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, and that's avidco.net. They've been with us since the beginning. And to all of you, thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking. Mm-hmm.